Hey guys, you're listening to a message from Pastor Brett called Scorekeeper right here on the Engage Network. So we are, as I mentioned, continuing our series, Child of God. We've got uh, one more week in this and I trust that it has been beneficial for both you and uh, your family. If you have a paper Bible today, get it out. We're going to read it. We're going to start in John chapter 1. Uh, our tech team today is like, wow, you got a lot of Bible verses. I'm like, well, we do read the Bible here. So it's uh, what we do. And if you're using your phone, now, no matter what time or location, you can jump on the version Bible app and you will find all of your notes and Bible verses already locked and loaded on there for you, ready to go. Uh, and speaking about um, plans and our own best laid plans and our best ideas, uh, you know, power's failing here. So this is probably a great time to mention that we just signed a lease on a brand new space for seven years. It's probably a good time to mention it. Uh, so, you know, we've got till June 30th to lift our conditions, uh, but that means we're going to have a great time on June 23rd at Horizon Stage uh, for our Heart for the House offering. So just be praying. Uh, it, it's not about what one of us can do. It's about what we can all do together. And remember, we've got that big goal of $300,000, and it seems like a lot, uh, but uh, with God, all things are possible, and when we all do our part, it's amazing what can happen. Uh, so yeah, we've got we've got a new home. Now I'm just going to say this: if you're sitting in uh, this service and you other services haven't heard yet, you know, don't post it on the internet or any of those things. Just let them have their moment too. Okay, let them have their moment. But let's read our Bibles, John chapter one. If you're ready, say I'm ready. John chapter one, verse twelve. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with the physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan, but a birth that comes from God. Have you ever got one of those emails that says, hey, my name is uh, so-and-so, and I'm a lawyer from Spain, and I'm reaching out to you because a long-lost relative has recently passed away, and you have been named as one of the people that they wanted to leave a large sum of money to, an estate in the hills of Spain. And you're like, are there hills in Spain? Uh. And all you have to do to claim this incredible inheritance is send all of your banking information. And if you send all of your banking information, all of your wildest dreams will come true. Now, I'm hoping if you have gotten one of those emails that you have not sent your banking information. And by a few of your faces, you're really praying that money's coming in, not going out, okay? Uh, but, you know, there's, there's, this, there's, there's this something in us that, that we're, like, we love the idea of an inheritance. And the incredible thing is that we get an inheritance when we have a personal relationship with Jesus. We are called children of God. I am a child of God. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I am a child of God. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, you are a child of God. <laughs> a child of God. Romans 8, 17 describes it like this. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. We are co-heirs with Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ. When God looks at us, he looks at us as adopted sons and 
daughters. You are a child of God. With that comes all of the rights and privileges of being the son or daughter of the most powerful daddy in the universe. And that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. You know what we also share in? We share in this moment in Matthew chapter 3. As Jesus was being baptized, he comes up out of the water. And in this moment, we, for the first time in Scripture, see all three parts of the Trinity functioning, functioning as one, at once. Jesus comes up out of the water. Holy Spirit comes descending like a dove. And a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And in this moment, the overwhelming love of a proud and boasting heavenly father breaks through the heavenlies before Jesus had done anything of any significance. He did not turn any water to wine yet. He did not walk on any water yet. No blind eyes were opened yet. He had not preached a message. Not yet. He had not yet given his life for us. He was simply in that moment a son in whom his father was well pleased. Oftentimes, we struggle with this idea, number one, of a heavenly father, but we've talked about that. We can recap in the podcast if you need to dig back down into that. But we really struggle with this idea that we don't have to do anything for our heavenly father to love us. He just simply loves us. Now, if you have kids, you can kind of, you can kind of understand this idea, especially if you've got young kids. You're like, wow, I just, I just love my kids, and they do funny things, and they annoy you sometimes, and they make you upset, and they make you sad, and they make you happy, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You just love them. You're like, they're just so cute. I'm assuming as they age, that might change, because you're like, they're just so in an awkward phase right now, but we still, <laughs> I, we still love them, you know? We still love them. You know, age grades, you know, six through eight and a half are a rough time, but we're all praying and we're believing for a good turn of events. And, uh, but we, we just, we just love them, you know, there's not, there's nothing like there's nothing they have to do to earn it. They're, they're just, they just love. And that's how God looks at us. And he just, he just loves us. And he's just proud of you. But he also wants you to know that there is so much potential that he has placed inside of you that he cannot wait to see you begin to unlock it. But one of the keys for you to unlock it is to understand that he's already proud of you. That he already loves you. You can't unlock it if you keep it locked up. And we keep it locked up. Because we cannot wrap our minds around this unconditional kind of love. Now a couple weeks ago we looked at the story of the prodigal Son, I'll give you a quick recap for those who are not familiar. Previously on, the prodigal son. I've always wanted to do that. (laughs) Two sons, one dad. Imagine that. (laughs) One son, seemingly perfect son. Other son, seemingly not so perfect son. Tells his dad, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Cash me out. Give me all of your inheritance right now. That one son goes straight to Vegas, blows it on drugs and hookers. Ends up broke, working in a pig pen, so hungry that he gets jealous of the pig's food. And while he's sitting there, 
he has a realization that even his father's servants, his father's employees, his father's slaves eat better than he is eating right there. So he said, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going back home. I'm going to go back home as a servant. I'm going back home as a slave. I'm going back home broke and humbled, and I'm just hoping that he's not going to be mad, but I think he'll let me come and work because at least then I'll get somewhere to sleep and something to eat. So he begins the literal walk of shame back home, original walk of shame. (laughs) Walks all the way back home. Meanwhile, his dad's like, you know what I wish? I wish my son would come back because right now he's dead, but I want him back. I want him to be alive. So every single day, that dad who the other unperfect son thinks is mad at him, who he thinks he's going to have to beg and grovel from, that dad is going out to the end of the driveway every single day and waiting with anticipation for his son to come home. See, yesterday I got, I got a new barbecue. got delivered to my house. Yeah, praise the Lord. I'm already planning. You can come over later, all right? It's going to be good. But uh, I've been waiting for a month with anticipation for this barbecue. Every, I've watched so many YouTube videos. I've got a smoker, offset smoker, plus a charcoal chamber, plus a propane chamber, plus, you know, my own pot burner. So it's going to be, I mean, it's revival levels in my backyard. Um, but yesterday, we, we, were, we, we had to go to Sherry and Kristen's wedding. I was officiating the wedding. I had to go because I was officiating. I'm, I'm obligated to perform the ceremony. So, yes, I had to be there. Um, and I also wanted to be there at the exact same time. But I also wanted my barbecue. And so I was waiting for them to come because they're, like, it's supposed to come. And my dad came over, uh, to, and he, he was uh, hanging out with my sons. And they were having a sleepover with Papa. But he came over so that, you know, we could go if we had to. But I didn't want to leave until the last possible moment. I, just, I kept looking out the window. I kept checking. I'm like, is it here yet? Is it here yet? Is it here yet? I was excited. I delayed getting, like, ready. Like, my suit was all laid out. But I wasn't in it yet just in case I need to help the guys. You know, like, like, what do you need? So much anticipation for this barbecue. And that's not even a little bit how much anticipation this father's feeling. I wonder if today's my son's coming home. And the son rounds the corner, and his dad runs to him and throws his arms around him. And, he, and there's so much significance there that I don't have time to get to. You're going to have to listen a few weeks ago. Wraps his arm around him, puts a ring on him, puts a robe on him, puts some shoes on him, makes him a son, not a slave. He says, my son, he was dead, but now he's alive. Let's throw a party. Let's throw a party. Get that fattened calf. Get in here. Kill the goats. Let's do this. Brett, fire up the grill. <laughs> but can I tell you, not everyone was happy this, that this son came home. Hashtag drama. As the older perfect brother storms out of the party. Because it's my brother's party and I can be angry if I want to. And he storms out and just like a soap opera, the dad runs out the door after him and the door slams and they're in the, like in the driveway fighting. And the brother says this in Luke chapter 15 verse 28, the older brother was angry. He would not go in. I'm not going in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. And never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, 
When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Can you hear the small violins play? As the older brother's like, man, I'm just awesome. And he is not. But did you catch it? Did you see it? In verse 29, he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. Not even close to true, my friends. (laughs) He's a wealthy son of a wealthy dad who stayed home and hung out, didn't waste his money away. True. But in this moment, he exposes something in his own heart. And if we're being honest in this moment, he exposes something in our hearts. Because, see, I wonder how many of us who are called children of God actually call ourselves slaves of God. And so we define our lives not by having a personal relationship, but by, I have to do this. I have to say this. I have to behave in this way. Don't you see that I've slaved all these years from you? Don't you see all the things I've done? You've never thrown a party for me. Don't you see how I I volunteer? Don't you see how I serve? Don't you see, God, how I I give? Don't you? Don't you see? And so we live in our hearts and in our minds as slaves of God, people who are slaves to a task, slaves to a mission, and say, God says, hold on, that was never the plan. The plan all along was that we would have a relationship, that we would walk and talk in the cool of day, that any mission or obligation you feel is not for you to accomplish, it's not for you to do, it's for us to do together. This is our project. This is our father-son, father-daughter project. This is what we're going to do together. That gift that I gave you, I wanted to unpack that thing with you. I wanted to watch you develop. I wanted to sit in the audience. I wanted to cheer for you. Don't you you get it? You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a child. You're not a slave. You're not bound. You're so free. You're so free. You're so free. See, it speaks to our mindsets because it actually slips us into a victim mentality and we're the victim and makes God our enemy. Because slaves are actually victims. Actual slaves are actually victims. But we're not victims. We're children of God who have purposely made a choice to be in a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father in whom He is already pleased about us before we've done anything, before we've accomplished anything, before we've checked off any checks boxes or, or fulfilled any lists, our, your dad in heaven is saying, I am so proud of you. I'm so pleased. You're not a slave. You are a son and you are a daughter who has an inheritance, who has been given the greatest gift of so much potential that you don't even know what to do with it. And God says, hey, I'm your dad. And I want to show you how to use that thing. See, but this also changes the way that we come to church. It changes the way that we sing. It changes the way that we worship. It changes the way we give. It changes the way that we volunteer. It changes the way that we serve. It changes the way we do everything because now I'm not obligated. Now I'm here because I want to be here. 
and I begin to worship and I begin to sing, not because I need to get something from him, but because I'm just thankful that I get to be in relationship, that he loves me and he loved me first, and I don't have to do anything to get that love. I just come in, I'm just like, thank you. It's not a striving, it's not a wrestling, it's not a fighting. I think sometimes we think that we got to come in, we're like, oh, I'm going to get all of God. Or all of him is already available to you. So I can just thank God and in his presence come with gratitude and thanksgiving and understand that it's already here. The gift has already been given. And I'm just thankful. And, you know, gratitude does something. It begins to re, begins to re calibrate everything that's inside of us. You know, it's wedding season. Didn't sharing Christmas yesterday. Justin Clayton's is just a few week, weeks away. And uh, Clayton, you nervous? Yeah, he's, he's getting there. He's getting there. He's like, yeah, Jess isn't here, so yes. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm just, just so you're prepared for every wedding ever, I want to read to you today from 1 Corinthians 13, because you're going to hear it all summer long. 1 Corinthians 13. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. You are ready. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Listen to this. It does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. If you're tracking with this, and this is some bonus content for you, this is the Apostle Paul describing love. And if you are making notes about this, you will recall that God himself is love. And in 1 John, the whole book, it describes that the beginning of love is God and that you know God if you love because you look like God. And if you look like God and and you're reflecting him, then you're going to look like love. And love is who he is. So when we say these words, love, he's actually describing the attributes of your heavenly father. Your heavenly father is patient and kind. He's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand his own way, which is why you can go your own way if you want to. Oh, he doesn't suggest it generally. That's why we choose to follow Jesus one step. But did you see this here that Love keeps no record of being wronged. To put it in a modern vernacular language that we can understand means love does not keep score. What was this brother doing? This brother was keeping score. Slaves keep score. Victims keep score. People who have a vendetta keep score. But we're reminded in Scripture that vengeance is not ours, it's the Lord. So we don't keep score because we look like love because we look like our dad. We don't keep score. But I wonder if we've been spending a lot of time keeping score, living as slaves, not children. God, you didn't come through here. You didn't come through here. Or did you just maybe put your own idea of what God was saying to you on the whole thing? Or did you try and force something ahead of his time? No, but you didn't. You said that this was going to happen. Yeah, but you also said that you were going to follow him one step at a time and not do it on your own time. 
I wonder if we've spent a lot of time keeping score about the people even sitting in this room. You're like, no, I would never do that. For sure you wouldn't, intentionally. But as a human being, we're like, God, they have this. Look at how perfect their marriage is. Only if you knew. God, look at how many cars they have. Look at the house. Look at the kids. They can actually have kids. You know, we've had these conversations. You've had those conversations at home. God, how come they don't have to walk through the things that I'm going through? We're really good at keeping score. But don't worry. 2 Timothy 1.7 reminds us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means I have the power and the ability to overcome whatever is in front of me, empowered by the presence of Jesus because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So he has given me. I don't have to be afraid because I know that if I'm walking with him, whatever's in front of me, we can get through it. We can go around it. We can go over it. We can dig under it. I might not know the plan, but as long as I'm walking with him, I've got the the power. But I've also got the love, which means I've got the patience and the grace and the kindness to get through. Because what we default to is, I'm going to get there and I'm going to rip down anything in my path. And Jesus says, but what if we didn't rip everybody down along the way? What if we brought many more with us? Right? Because if I'm, if I'm a child, I'm, I'm confident. I'm not afraid anymore that I have to jockey for position. Because I know that he's already well pleased and it's got nothing to do with my accomplishments. It's got everything to do with him just looking at me and be like, wow, you're cute today. And I'm like, thank you, it's a new shirt. <laughs> but then he talks about sound mind. <laughs> Worry will make you go crazy. Right? I, I don't have a spirit of fear. I actually have a sound mind, which means that I have a confidence in God. Which is why when we come in and worship, we don't have to pull down on heaven. Like you can, if you feel like you need to go after something and if he's asking you, say, hey, listen, you could, you could like lean in a little bit. You could put forward some effort. That's a whole lot different. But you don't need to come in and strive and make it happen. You don't think that your heavenly father actually just wants to spend time with you? You don't have to beg him to want to spend time with you. Oftentimes he's begging you to spend time with him. Right? So when we come in, I have a sound mind because I walk in a new confidence that says, when I show up here and I begin to just thank him, that Jesus is enthroned in the praises of his people. That's what it says in Scripture in Psalm 22. That he just comes on down. And to be honest, he's already been with me this entire time. It's just something special happens when we get in a room together and collectively we begin to worship. And that's called a corporate anointing. It happens all through scripture when the people of God gather, which is why in in Hebrews 10 it says, do not forsake the gathering together because something happens when we get in a room together and the presence of God comes and he looks at all of us. He goes, I'm proud of all of you. And he just starts pouring out his love and his mercy and grace. Sometimes what what we might mistake is him wanting to do something, is him wanting to say something and him wanting to say something is I love you but we keep score all the time you know that's what his brother was doing but check this out okay the apostle Paul actually uh, right before he talks about the fruits of the spirit which is the evidence of the spirit of God at work he actually makes a list of the evidence of humanity at work 
This is the list in Galatians chapter 5. Are you still with me? And, uh, thank you for the three people. Stony Plain, I'm praying that you're more active than these guys, okay? Galatians 5 verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful thoughts, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's what happens when we're left to our own devices, absent of the Spirit of God. Now, if we were keeping score, I think that the older brother would say, well, you know what my younger brother did? Envy? Oh, no. That was me. I was envious as the older brother who's responsible of my brother's partying. Oh. Drunkenness. Wild parties. Oh, go back. Let's go back. Sorry, Jeff. Back. Oh, right there. Yeah. The beginning of the list. Very clear. Sexual immorality. Yep, my brother did that. Impurity. Yep, my brother did that. Lustful pleasures. Yep, my brother did that. Idolatry. Probably. Sorcery. I don't doubt it. <laughs> Hostility. Quarreling. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition. Ambi uh, dissension. Division. Hold on. That's me when I stormed out of the party because I was so righteous. Uh-oh. Keep going. Envy. I was envious of him. Yes, he was the drunk, but I'm drunk on self-righteousness. Wild parties, definitely my brother. And other sins like these. But isn't it interesting how I think the list actually begins to tip the scales on the other brother? Perfect sign. Because though we've categorized sins in certain manners, God does not look at them in the same way that you do. He put them on the same list. As if to say, oh, hold on, Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how about we put down our stones, remove log from our eye. Understand that the score is about even. But then... The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 continues like this. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Oh, hold on. That dad threw a party because the truth about his son is coming out, that he's not a slave, that he is a son, that he's welcomed back home, that he never had to leave in the first place, that he was loved, that he was called, that he is chosen, that he's got a destiny, that even though he blew all that inheritance, that that father has the ability to create wealth, so he's going to get even more inheritance because his dad took something away for him. He begins to rejoice. That's why we throw a party, because we rejoice when the truth wins out. We rejoice when love wins. Love throws a party when the truth wins out. But here's why the dad stood at the end of the driveway. And here's how God looks at us and walks through life with us. It continues in verse 7. Because love never gives up. Meaning your dad, your heavenly father doesn't give up. He never loses faith. He's always hopeful. That's what drew him to the end of the driveway every day saying, today's the day that my son is coming home. Love endures through every circumstance. 
which is why it didn't matter the stories. It didn't matter the rumors. It didn't matter what the money, what the money was spent on. Because that kind of love never gives up. Now, here's the thing. As we begin to have a deeper relationship with our Heavenly Father, we begin to look a whole lot more like Him. Which means these are the attributes that I hope that I would let lead in my life. I hope that I'm defined as the person who would never give up on somebody. That never loses faith. Is always hopeful. And the type of person who would endure with somebody through every circumstance. Romans 8 says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. Abba Father. I want to wrap up with the very end of this story in Luke 15. His father responds to the drama. (laughs) And he says this to his son. Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Son, everything I have is yours. It was then, it is now, it always has been. Everything I have is yours. I've never withheld. If you wanted to have a party, we should have had a party. But you've been living as a slave. You've put yourself under. You've decided that you were a victim, but everything I've had is yours. Always has been. And he says the same thing to us today. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. All of what I have is yours. All of my love, all of my grace, all of my compassion. Then it flips over. All of my power, all of my wisdom, all of my discretion, all of my understanding. All that I have is yours. I don't know how many more words I can use to describe how much God has for you because he spent a number of years writing this. (laughs) But if we could walk away with anything today, I hope it could be this. You are a child of God and everything he has is available to you all the time. You may feel unworthy. You may feel unloved. But God has not given you a spirit of fear. That's fear. Fear says you're not enough. You'll never measure up. And that causes you to do something to try and measure up. But God has not given you a spirit of fear. 